He's going to have his people get back to me. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, uh, every week is LPGA professional and Legends Tour player Cindy Miller, and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show. Good morning and welcome, Cindy. Good morning. Uh, very excited. This is um, our, our last show, of course, of the 2016 season as we wind down for the holidays, but uh, it's going to be a good show. We've got a great guest coming up in the in uh, the next little bit, um, uh, Kathy Grayson. She's the sales manager and tournament uh, division uh, for the tournament division for Callaway Golf, and uh, she's going to be joining us here shortly, and uh, we've got a great discussion that we're going to start the show off, but uh, very, very exciting. It's been a good year. We've had a lot of great guests and uh, enjoyed bringing the show to you. We look forward to even more uh, exciting guests and interesting topics uh, for the next season, but let me just very quickly, Cindy, before we start, uh, remind everybody to go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Women of Golf, and that will take you to our, our main uh, main page, and you can either listen to us live Tuesdays from, 10, uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time, uh, or you can just scroll down to the On Demand section if you can't join us live, and uh, all of the previously aired shows, including today's, will be there a little bit later. Uh, and you can listen to them at your convenience, or you can go to iTunes.com, and under the podcast section, just type in, again, Women of Golf, and that will take you there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Look forward to some feedback on the show. Uh, you can do so by reaching out to either Cindy or I. Uh, Cindy's email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com, and uh, mine is, of course, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Phone in if you want as well. You can do so by calling area code 347 945 And as I said, this is our final show. We're getting ready to to wind down for the holidays, uh, and we'll be coming back on, I believe, the second week of January, the second Tuesday of January, which I don't have the date in front of me off the top of my head, um, but we'll be uh, coming back in. So we're going to take a little bit of a break as we uh, celebrate the holidays with family and friends and so forth. And uh, but we want you to come back here uh, early in the new year as we get fired up again for uh, a new season. But Cindy, lots of uh, great things happening out there in, in golf, and you've got a great thing happening, uh, especially as we get close to Christmas. Uh, talk to them about your Learn to Hit It kit. Yes, I have created the Learn to Hit It kit for those who need to practice their game and maybe get ready to play in a corporate event and don't really have time to get to the range or just don't feel like going to take lessons. Uh, it comes with a Callaway portable golf mat, foam Callaway practice balls so you can hit balls in your living room and chip and putt, I guess you could, and Mm -hmm. um, my Golf 101 book and a coupon for 10% off any Callaway golf club. So if you don't own golf clubs, you can purchase a 7-iron or a 5-hybrid, one golf club for a discount, and then you get access to my online Learn to Hit It course, which has got 10 modules to teach you how to hit it clean, airborne, and straight on purpose. And you can find it at learntohititkit.com. The cost is uh, $99 plus tax and shipping. So less than wow. some private lessons for an hour. And what a great and, – and the beauty of it is, Cindy, too, is you can, you can do it over and over again. You're not just – you know, much like – and certainly not to knock lessons, but, you know, one-hour lesson, as you said, for, for similar cost, um, that hour is done. Um, whereas this particular uh, product that you're offering here, they can do it over and over again. So it's a continual opportunity to to learn and ingrain some of those techniques and and things that you're talking about in your uh, learn to hit it kit. So uh, a great uh, great price point, great value for the money, and a great uh, gift 
for uh, for any time, but particularly for this Christmas season for that golfer in your family. So uh, don't hesitate. Go to cindymillergolf.com or learn to hit it kit.com as well. And uh, you can get all the information there on how to purchase it for, for that special someone in your family. Um, great, great work as always, Cindy. Um, now, I want to start off our discussion. We don't have a lot of time because uh, Kathy uh, is going to be joining us here uh, before we know it. Um, but I wanted to have a discussion this morning on what I uh, would classify as the four laws of perfect practice. And I don't know whether that title is necessarily appropriate because it, it, it talks about some other things. But, um, but here are some things that, that have sort of been isolated down, and I, I wanted to go through each one of them very quickly. The first one is deliberate practice. Uh, is highly personalized. And what I mean by that, Cindy, is, um, you know, your practice session is unique to you. Um, you you want to design something that's going to give you the best opportunity of success. And, you know, a lot of golfers out there are very comfortable practicing uh, what works for them right now and are very hesitant to, to work on some of the areas of the game that they struggle with. For instance, uh, if you're a good driver of the ball, everybody likes to stand up on that practice tee and hit drive after drive but maybe they're not so good at bunker play. Um, and so they don't get in the bunker and, and really work very much on that aspect of the game to sort of bring everything into, into uh, process. So, uh, you know, if you were going to advise somebody, Cindy, to, to sort of develop their own practice routine, obviously, you know, you'd want to work with them if, if the opportunity present, presents itself, but what would you suggest and recommend that they do? Well, again, it depends on what they're trying to improve. And, you know, are you trying to hit it closer? Are you trying to hit it straighter? Um, Each person needs to know what they're doing, and then I think you need to take a piece of that and practice it until you become comfortable and it becomes second nature and you know whether you're trying to feel it, see it, or hear it. And then, and only then, can you learn to own it I just think it's very, very important for you to know what you're trying to work on and try to focus on one task at a time. Right. And I think also, too, Cindy, I think a, a, an important component uh, of, of sort of working on, on a, a, a practice routine, I think you have to be willing to um, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and, and I highly recommend for those of you out there that aren't currently working with a teacher or coach um, that you seek one out. And there's you know, literally thousands of them all over the country and, uh, you know, find one in your area and talk to them and, and sit down and have a one-on-one with them and, and discuss what your goals are. And as you often said, Cindy, is why am I here? Why am I, you know, playing golf? What's, what's the reasons behind it? And help, uh, you know, answer that question first and foremost, and that will help sort of direct uh, your next steps. But I, I think you have to be willing to make yourself a little uncomfortable in practice. And, and that's what I was alluding to earlier um, you know, it's great if you're, you're hitting, um, you know, let's say you're hitting all of your wedges, uh, you know, within a specific distance and you're hitting them all great. Well, maybe try and choke down on another iron, take a seven iron or an eight iron and choke down on it and try and hit that same distance because, you know, you're not always going to be hit, uh, faced with that full wedge or, or um, that full shot. You might have some in-between shots. And if you've never practiced that, um, then you're not going to get very good at those shots. Uh, agree, Cindy? I totally agree. Um, I'm not sure that you have to make yourself uncomfortable. I think you have to push yourself. Right. And I think you need to be very aware of what you're trying to do. And then I think you need to focus on that. And depending on your personality, you know, do you tend to want to do more than one thing at a time, which would be I'm guilty of that. Um, I need to know my why. So, again, I'm trying to work on my game for the 2018 Women's U.S. Senior Open, okay? Mm-hmm. So if, right. if that's the case, what do I need to do? I need to become more comfortable, confident, consistent. I need to learn how to hit shots where it's scary. You know, how scary are U.S. Open? It's the most scary tournament you'll ever play in in your life. You know, it's so long. It's so hard. Well, if you think those thoughts, you're going to scare yourself. So. So now I need to say, okay, let's put myself in the situation where, you know, you've got a really tight line, you've got to hit a three-wood between, you know, really tight bunkers, and, and you've got to fly a 210, you know. So put yourself yeah. in those situations, which your notes say here, you know, start playing for five bucks. You know, scare yourself at least once a day, I guess we could say. Right. <laughs> and believe me, we've all done that from time to time. 
out uh, on the whether whether it be on the uh, the the course or, or even on the practice tee sometimes doing things that we're not always and that really brings me to number two which is kind of the same thing is deliberate practice should push you just beyond your abilities uh and that's what i was really i guess saying is is sort of stepping out of your comfort zone I, again i think a lot of amateurs fall into that category when they get out and, and are working on their game they tend to stick with the things they know they're good at and really don't you know get out and try things um that they're not comfortable with um you know, for instance, and just to give you an example, um, you know, if you if you've been a master of, of uh, you know hitting sort of the basic chips from uh, clean lies, uh, and that's great for confidence, but that doesn't mean that you should start going in and and, and as they were putting it here in the comments, um, you know, try and hit uh, Phil Mickelson style flop shots from from hard pan, um, because you know if you haven't really practiced that, and that's something definitely you don't want to take out in the golf course. Um, you know, Phil has been working on those areas for a very very long time and. That's why he's able to do it with confidence. And I think, I think what it is that really boils down to is a lack of confidence for a lot of people. They're not comfortable hitting certain shots because they, they haven't seen success with it yet. So they, they don't want to get out there and practice. So they're going to stick with what's comfortable for them and just make the best of the situation. Um, so I think you would agree as well. I mean, we need to step outside of our abilities uh, and, and work on areas that maybe we're not so comfortable with um, and, and maybe are not uh, as, as confident with in order to, to be able to grow our game, too, I think, right? Well, I think you're also, you touched on something, it's, it's a belief factor, and that would go back to realistic expectations. So, yep. again, you have to be able to assess the situation and say, okay, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Is this possible? Is this doable? And if it is, now I need to make a plan to achieve my goal and in that plan, you're going to create the process. And once you create the process, then you're going to get the results. Right, exactly. Um, and, and number three, um, deliberate practice must be repeated at a high volume. Now, this one here, uh, I'm a little bit iffy with. I mean, I, I know it's a true statement, but not everybody, and we know this, Cindy, not everybody in today's game has the ability uh, or the time like many of the pros do. Um, you know, as an example here, you know, they're using Sam Snead in his day, you know, hit, hit golf balls all day and actually uh, got to the point where he would turn on his car headlights at night and even continue to practice. He'd wheel it up towards the practice tee area and shine it out so he could see where the balls were going. Um, and, and that all sounds perfect, but um, first off, most, most courses nowadays would never let you do that. But secondly, people just don't have that kind of time. And, you know, so we have to find a happy balance. So what could we suggest to somebody, do you think, that maybe can't go out there and spend three or four or five days a week like some of the pros do working on their game? How can they sort of get the biggest bang for their buck uh, and, and really, uh, you know, make the best use out of their practice time? They can buy the Learn to Hit It kit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And they can hit half shots in the basement with foam balls. I mean, right. even if your basement ceiling is eight feet tall, you can take a half a wedge and hit balls and learn to hit it clean, airborne, and straight. Um, so there is no excuse. And even if you did this um, three times a week for ten minutes, you know yeah. everybody's got thirty minutes a week to practice. <laughs> and if you do the fundamentals, the whole mission of golf is to start the face square, swing it to the top, and bring it back to square. If you do that, the ball's going straight down to the ground it's going in the air and if the face is square it's going straight so again there is no excuse so if you really want to work on your game and get better you can right there you go and uh and by the way you walked it very nicely into a promo for for learn to hit it kid that was a great great connection well you the, you, you, it was a very <laughs> low-hanging fruit ted thank you for that yes. but again there is no excuse i mean you might say i right. don't i can't do this well, set the mat up in the basement or the back hall or the living room or the front porch or, you know, not everybody lives in Buffalo where it's snowing. So yeah. there are, is no excuse. And for 100 bucks, you can practice anytime you want and have access over and over to the same golf lessons on video so you won't forget what you're trying to work on. Yeah, and, and you know what? You're exactly right. I think that's a, a great way – um, and as you said, you know, not everywhere gets snowed out like Buffalo, um, but with this learned to hit it kit, you're able to take your game indoor. And sure, you can't do everything, again, depending on your circumstances, 
um, you know, if you have a low ceiling and that, you have to make some modifications perhaps. But there's really no excuse. And I think, you know, what a lot of people do is they hunker down for the winter and they say, well, I'll get it back at the game next year. They come out, you know, with a lot of rust and dust and things like that on their equipment and on their bodies. And they haven't really done anything or even really thought much about golf because they figure, well, it's out of season for them. And then they're starting from, from square one at the beginning of the season and spending the better part of that year that they could be out really enjoying themselves, trying to sort of retrain or relearn uh, aspects of the game. And, you know, with, with this kit that you're offering, Cindy, I mean, what a great way to keep yourself fresh. And again, 10 minutes a day, uh, even if it's only three times a week, is better than just lumping yourself in that lazy boy chair or on the couch and not doing anything to, to work on, on your game. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. So there's, there's no, we're not giving you any excuses here, folks. I mean, we want you to get better, and we want you to go out, obviously, first and foremost, is to have fun. And the only way to do that is to, to put some effort into it. You know, it's, it's not going to it just, you know, uh, you know, come in a dream at night. You've got to get out there and, and put some effort into it. And uh, the more effort you put into it, obviously, the better results you're going to get. Uh, and, well, you know, and that's the other why thing we're here. is you want to have fun. You want to have sure. fun. And if, it, and if you can hit it a little bit better and the ball kind of goes where you're hoping it will, it's going to be way more fun. Sure. And I think the biggest criticism I have for, for most of the folks out there is they're trying too hard for perfection. They're trying to hit it too perfect. They're trying to, um, you know, get those perfect shots and have that perfect score in their mind, and they're not realistic in their expectations. It takes time. You know, the pros didn't just wake up one morning and, you know, win the Masters or the U.S. Open or what have you. Um, they had to work at it, and that's not to say that that's what your goal might be, um, but if you want to improve, you've got to be willing to put that effort. The fourth and final one is deliberate practice requires continual uh, and specific feedback, and that's highly important. Obviously, uh, optimally, you know, you want to work with a coach or, or a teacher, um, but failing that, you obviously want some kind of sound feedback, even if it's just a buddy coming up there, maybe videotaping your swing uh, or just kind of having a, a set of eyes to see and, you know, what was interesting, uh, Cindy, about this one is um, was Tiger Woods. And Hank Haney, of course, who was a coach of his at one point, uh, had written a book. And in the book he talks about it. was called The Big Miss, by the way. Uh, and he was uh, Woods' coach from 2004 to 2010. And he observed it on the range that Woods would rarely hit more than 25 balls uh, before taking a seat in his cart and where he would stare silently and think about what he was doing. So he was mentally preparing himself. He wasn't just hitting ball after ball after ball. He was also taking time to mentally visualize what he wanted to do, visualize some of the areas that he was having difficulty in, and trying to you know, correct them uh, in his mind before he went out and played his round. So he, he prepared mentally as well as physically, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and, 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 Cindy, you know the importance of feedback, how important it is um, you know, when you're working with your students, that how critical that information you give them uh, is going to help them down the road. Talk a little bit about how you try to make sure that the students are getting that, that important feedback from you. Well, I'm going to change it back to the ball because, in my opinion, the ball is the greatest feedback. It's the evidence of what you've done with the club. So if you can understand the process and how to hit it clean, airborne, and straight on purpose, and then each shot you take or swing you make and attempt to hit the ball, it will tell you what you've just done. So if you can learn that, I, I, I mean, you need the feedback, the initial feedback first so that you know why the ball goes where it goes. But then mm -hmm. you can start to help yourself. I mean, yes, it's great to take lessons, and you need to understand that first off. But the ball will tell you what you did, and it never lies. So, yeah, right. that's the best feedback in the world, in my opinion. Right. I mean, we wish it would lie once in a while, but unfortunately it doesn't, you know. And, and you know, you, you can attest to that, Cindy. There's been lots of times you've been out there and everything's just gelling together and working great. And there's other times, you know, you've been out there on tour and, and things just didn't fall into place the way you wanted to. Um, and as you said, you know, the ball basically told the story. Uh, I want to talk about, Cindy, you know, we've still got some time before, before Kathy joins us. Um, you know, because you, you mentioned about preparing for the Legends uh, U.S. Open coming up here in 2018. Um, you know, I know you, you may not want to get into all the specific details, but there's obviously areas of your game that you want to really work on to help prepare. 
touching a little bit about that, what are some things that are, that are you're having difficulty with right now? And, and it doesn't matter what level of player you are, folks, even the best of the best have their issues that they have to work on. What are some things that you're really wanting to work on to, in order uh, to prepare to, to make it out there on, on, uh, on the uh, U.S. Women's Open, Senior Open? Well, here's, here's the facts. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was at the LPGA CME Globe Championship, and I was helping a young player on the tour named Megan Kang with her putting. And we were trying to figure out whether she's linear or nonlinear and how you see lines, straight lines or curved lines. And, and what her dad said is she hits the ball fine, she doesn't putt very well, and she has two or three three putts per round. And so I said, okay, so let's figure out if we can help her make more putts. And the second round of the tournament, she shot 67, mm. and I believe she only hit 11 greens. Wow. And she had 20, 25 putts. Hmm. So I... <clears throat> was busted myself by watching someone I was trying to help and and the truth came back in my face that yeah you can work on your swing all you want but where should you be spending your time chipping right. and putting chipping and putting because those girls on the tour if they hit 13 or 14 or 15 greens and and this is my where I'm you know I hit I typically always hit at least thirteen greens and she's right. seventy four so what's wrong with me I, mm-hmm. you can't really get a whole lot better so the person that hits the most greens on tour I think averages thirteen or fourteen for the whole year so I might be at fifteen max so those right. people if they know how to putt they're under par all the time. So right. there you go. I, I got to get a new putter. I got to work on yeah. my putting. I got to know how to lag putt. I got to, you know, make putts within 10 feet. You know, if you work on your putts within side, inside 10 or 15 feet, you're going to make more of those. They're going to be for par or for birdie or for bogey. Hopefully not, but maybe because you're going to miss shots. So um, I busted myself by trying to help somebody else, and the truth came back in my face and said, you know what, go work on your chipping and putting. Well said. And, and that's true. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes I think we all as, as teachers, uh, I think from time to time when we're working with a student, um, kind of come to that realization. We'll see something and think, you know what, yeah, I, I, that's what I need to do as well. Um, and, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, Cindy, I think that a lot of folks out there really focus on areas of game, uh, of their game that really, uh, and, and that's not to say they should never practice it, but they spend more time on the areas that they're very proficient at and very little time um, on areas of the game that they, they need the most help with. And they wonder why they're not improving. Like you said, I mean, you're not going to get much, too much better than hitting 13, uh, you know, greens in regulation. But if your putting is lacking, then you're, you're, you're not going to improve your score uh, or your chipping or whatever the case may be. And I think you're exactly right. Um, a lot of players out there have that same, uh, same issue. And uh, it, it was great that you were able to sort of have that epiphany, if you will, um, while working with somebody else and helping them in their game. So it's a great work. Um, Cindy, I see that Kathy's uh, ready to come on board. So let me just do a very quick uh, introduction, and then we'll bring our, our very special guest this morning uh, on to join us. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, folks, uh, Kathy Grayson, the sales manager of the t- tournament division for Callaway Golf, uh, is joining us this morning. She coordinates all sales and uh, partnership opportunities with uh, all of the tours uh, and their events on the PGA, LPGA, uh, USGA, and of course for the PGA of America, as well as uh, other large key events um, held at uh, sort of green grass events, if you will. Uh, she began her uh, career in the golf industry after attending Ferris State University in 1985 uh, under the guidance of Jay Overton at uh, the Innisbrook Resort here in Florida. And she's worked in all aspects of the golf industry, including uh, just here's a few. Uh, she was the regional and strategic uh, accounts manager for the Antigua Group in Scottsdale. Uh, director of retail for four of the top uh, 100 clubs uh, in uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, also uh, marketing manager for Troon Golf Management Company and the Troon uh, Tournament Coordinator, excuse me, for the 1992 PGA Championship and Tournament Director for the Florida Open and Louisiana Open, Louisiana Open Golf Tournament. So uh, please welcome this morning um, for, uh, with Cindy and I, our very special guest, Kathy Grayson. 
Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're so well, glad you're here, but I have to read this thing here. Kathy's one stint outside the golf business was to accept the position of the Director of Volunteers, the United States Olympic Festival in 1994 prior to the Atlanta Olympics. you got to wow. tell us about that first. Oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. Um, yeah, what a great honor. Um, we actually held um, the Olympic Festival, which was similar to the trials, what has kind of evolved into the trials in um, St. Louis and Southern Illinois, and it was uh, quite the undertaking. We had, gosh, I think we had over 53 events um, throughout St. Louis and uh, uh, Southern Illinois, and uh, over 23,000 volunteers. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an undertaking, and, you know, it, it took a village to uh, to pull it off, but um, I uh, I truly enjoyed it, and would have loved to have gone on and, and worked for the Olympics in Atlanta, but, um, you know, loved St. Louis and wanted to get back to golf. So I, I ended up staying there. Wow. Fantastic. <clears throat> um, Kathy, this is Ted. I, I wanted to ask you just, uh, just to maybe give us a little bit of an overview. Um, obviously most people that play golf understand who and what Callaway is, but, uh, for those that, that maybe are a little bit newer to golf that may be tuning into the show this morning, just tell them, maybe give them a little bit of a, a general overview of the Callaway brand. Well, you know, Callaway, um, has been around since the 1980s, um, started with Ely Callaway and, uh, it's a tremendous company. Um, the last five years, we've really gained a lot of momentum in the industry, um, with the uh, change in leadership, um, and bringing on Chip Brewer as our new CEO. Um, he is, I, I can't say enough about him, he's phenomenal and has turned our company around. Um, in the last probably six months, we've been number one in every category with the exception of the driver and the golf ball, and we are close number two in golf ball now. Um, and we uh, – expect to be number one uh, with the launch of our new driver in January, which is a little top secret. So you'll have to wait to the Orlando show to hear more about that. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, well, and that's, I that's confess, the... though, I'm getting fit for mine tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have uh, some special people that we've uh, actually shown the driver <laughs> to already, uh-huh. including our tour players and some of our better staffers. Um, we are uh, making the rounds right now with uh, what we call the Epic Tour, which is similar to what we did last year with our Speed Fest. Um, and, you know, different locations in the U.S. where they are getting a preview of the driver. Um, I can tell you that, you know, it's revolutionary. Um, there's been, you know, some um, revolutionary technology over the years with, you know, when Callaway first uh, uh, brought in the Big Bertha. And then, you know, TaylorMade did the adjustable driver. So there's been little leaps of technology, and um, this is going to be a very big leap, and it's going to change um, the landscape of drivers again. So wow. it, it's really exciting. We're super excited about it. Wow. We're, we're, yeah, we're excited. I'm going to gain some yardage. You're, you know what? I, I actually saw it in person a few weeks ago. I was down at East Lake Country Club with our local sales rep, and um, we had some tournament meetings down there, and we took the six professionals out to the range, asked them to bring the drivers that they were currently hitting, and uh, we put each of them on TrackMan. And, you know, we had one that was Titleist, one that was Nike. We had a couple of our own staffers that were playing, um, you know, our big birth of fusion, and they consistently each gained – um, anywhere between 18 and 23 yards with this new driver. Oh, so my I, goodness. I was personally in awe. Um, I know, you know, every manufacturer, you know, has a launch, and, you know, we all tout that it's going to be the next latest and greatest, but I can honestly say that I was, um, I was flabbergasted at the distances these guys were getting with this new driver. Wow. What, a, what an incredible uh... Uh, feet well, this and, and uh, my uh, life. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, Cindy. <laughs> thank you. you. Well, thank you, Callaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you've been wanting some more distance, Cindy. You said that. Um, let me ask you, Kathy, as well, Just and I want to switch just to the, to the golf ball for a second, because a, a common question, I think, Cindy, I'm sure you probably – uh, maybe head uh, this question to you as, as well uh, from some of your students. Um, but with so many different golf balls, and I'm just talking, of course, within the Callaway brand, um, you've got so many different golf balls um, that have different functions, if you will. How does a, a, um, a, a golfer out there, how do they know what, they sh- what ball that is right for them? Because there are so many out there on the market now. Uh, how do they make that decision? And can they be fitted um, similarly to you would with golf clubs uh, to play the right golf ball for you. Yeah, and, you know, I think Cindy will agree with me. I think you can get fit for a golf ball. Um, there are different compressions, and, you know, everybody has different needs um, to adapt to how their, their shot making is. So um, I, I do think you can get fit, you know, for a golf ball. You know, we do tout our Chrome Soft to be, you know, the ball for everyone, you know, it's it's greater on the greens. Um, you know, we do have a new X ball that's a little that has a little less spin. But um, you know, I, I always I always tell um, people that I talk to, especially when I'm at a tournament or at pro am, to go see their golf professional because they're the experts in you know their particular swing and what their needs are. So, you know, LPGA or PGA um, professional, you should definitely, you know, check with them and, and get fit for the ball. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, do I, almost all tour players use the Chrome Soft? So all the not, Callaway stat, tour players, Yes. Do yeah, they, I, you know, I think if the they majority, play a Callaway ball, do they play the Chrome Soft? The majority of them are or they're going in that direction for sure. Um, you know, Titleist has been the number one ball for many, many years, and um, we really just put a lot of R&D into our golf ball in the last three years. So I would say, yes, that most of our players are moving to that Chrome softball for sure. Okay, cool. Hmm. Um Tell us a little bit about that specific ball. What's unique about it? What, uh, based on some of the technology that's in it, and and what some of the results that people that are playing that particular ball uh, are seeing? What is, what is it doing for their game that they're they've noticed the difference in? Well, I think you know. Again, it, it depends on it depends on your swing. It depends on your swing speed. But it is um, it's long. And it's mm-hmm. also very soft around the greens. And it has to do with the technology within the ball. And, um, you know, it's not something that I'm super comfortable talking about. You know, I'm okay. more on the, um, you know, the tournament side, and I do a lot of partnership agreements with the events. So that technology speak, um, I kind of leave to our experts in, in the field as far as our, you know, right. our reps and our R&D guys. So I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to, say something that's you know not accurate about the ball so i'll leave that to right. the experts <laughs> okay that's no hey that's fair enough i agree um i, I agree leave it leave things like that to the experts um Absolutely. what are so what are some that, sorry go ahead go ahead go cindy. ahead go go ahead, ahead. cindy sorry no. okay so t- because you do the tournaments okay i think your job is really cool And I think our listeners would think your job is really cool. So can you tell us, because you travel, like, all the time. I do. Your job is to make agreements with tour events. So if anyone's ever been lucky enough to play in a pro-am, you may have affected their life. Yes? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so tell us what you do. Yeah, so my job is very unique, and there's probably four of us in the industry um, that do this, maybe a, maybe a couple more. But it's in the uh, equipment side, you know, there's, there was really just a couple of us. And what I do is um, I speak directly with the head organization, so PGA Tour, LPGA, um, Web.com, and, you know, we try to, we try to um, partner with them and assist their events um, on the pro-am side. So every tour event, and you don't see this on TV, and I think, you know, this is where, um, you know, it'll be educational for the viewers. Um, every event, most events have a pro-am. And, you know, these are uh, sponsors, local community businesses that really take the time to invest in the tournament, and they pay money to play in a pro-am. So, 
you know, it's three or four people with one of the professionals. And, you know, it gives them an opportunity to really interact with the tour players and um, give back to the community and give back to the tournament. So uh, what we do is I'll go in with the tournament director and we'll talk about, you know, what kind of gifting would we like to give these program participants? And, you know, one thing that is really important to me to make them understand is the fact that it is a golf tournament and um, they really need to support the manufacturers and the businesses that are supporting the tours. So often I go in and they go, oh, well, I'm going to give, you know, an iPad. And my um, reasoning to them to use Callaway or any other golf brand is the importance of continuation of growing the game and supporting each other. Um, when you go outside of the golf industry, you know, you take away dollars from our industry. And we all know, you know, we've struggled in the past 10 years and growing the game and really keeping this industry strong. So, you know, my message um, today for all of those tournament directors out there is, you know, support your manufacturers, support your golf professionals, um, you know, keep it within our own family so that we can, you know, continue to grow this great game. So that's really so what, what I do. Of, what kind of items could be, I know, well, let me back up. Some of these pro-ams cost lots and lots of money, and businesses Correct. write it off because the money goes to a charitable cause typically, yes? Correct. So what would be a pro-am fee for an amateur, say, at a PGA Tour event? So it can be anywhere from $1,000 to $10,000. You know, it really depends per, on the event. Per spot? Per spot, yes. <laughs> it can be very costly, absolutely. Holy and cow. And so some, some of the gifting they receive, you know, is, is really nice. Like we'll go in and, you know, we'll do a driver fitting for everyone. We'll, we'll bring all the participants up on the range, get them individually fit, you know, customize their driver for them, and then drop ship it to their house so when they get back, it's waiting for them. Um, we do custom wedge fittings. Um, you know, we have a great relationship. Roger Cleveland has been with Callaway, um, you know, since he sold his own Cleveland Golf Company, and he's our uh, chief designer for our wedges. And we'll bring Roger on site. He'll do um, a tremendous clinic. He's so good with, you know, um, the public. And we'll stamp everyone's initials on their wedge. Um, we can do a ball fitting. Uh, we do putter oh, wow. fittings. You know, actually, that's where I met Cindy was at the uh, Women's PGA Championship last year where we did a putter fitting for 300 of the most powerful women executives in the country who were attending wow. um, the summit at the KPMG. And it was so much fun. And I think they all, you know, loved their gift. And we actually gave them some um, putting tips to get them started. So, yeah, so we, we try to personalize it for each event depending on, you know, how much time they have and what their budgets are. And, you know, one thing I try to, um, try to have them understand too is, you know, Callaway is a, a powerful brand and, um, you know, we want to partner with them and we know that it's about, uh, that week is about their brand. It's not about Callaway, but it's how, we can use our assets and our name to help them raise the standard of their event. So Fantastic. just try to be a Fantastic. good partner. Yeah. Let me ask, let me ask you a question, Kathy. Um, just you, you had made a comment a few minutes ago about, you know, with some of the challenges over the last decade uh, for the golf industry, you obviously get a lot of feedback um, with the Callaway brand, um, what some of the trends are and, and, and you kind of follow how the market goes. What has been in your mind over the last decade um, where most, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, dollars here, I'm just talking about growth in the game uh, with the Callaway brand. Has it been in, you know, in the junior market? Has it been in the women's market or the men? Or is it all pretty much even? Where are you seeing the biggest growth right now uh, up to this point in, over the last decade in, in, uh, in golf? You know, I think um, one of our, our big goals is to really get back to the grassroots of golf and focus on the golf professional and their membership. Um, women, definitely very important for us. Um, you know, it's a passion of mine. You know, Cindy and I have had numerous conversations about um, engaging more women in the golf 
uh, in golf and how are we going to do that? Um, and, you know, she and I have shared some ideas. You know, we have a big push within our organization right now to really um, cater to the juniors, um, you know, from high school through, you know, college. We really have a big push to um, connect with, with the um, up-and-coming generation. Um, if we don't, you know, golf's going to remain flat. We, we need to continue to work together um, all organizations, the USGA, the PGA of America, the LPGA, we really need to, you know, continue to put our heads together to figure out how to reach this, you know, next generation. They're so, you know, technologically savvy. They're so addicted to their video games and, you know, instant gratification. And golf, golf right. is a sport that, you know, takes some patience and, and some time. So we really need to figure out, you know, some different ways to connect with them and make golf fun and not, uh, you know, not a stodgy um, sport as, you know, some juniors perceive it to be. Tell right. us what yeah. you're doing with these kids, because I teach a lot of kids in that age group. So what can we do? How can we partner together and get these kids excited? You know, I think, I think there's several things. I think, you know, we need to continue to make it fun. Um, I applaud the USGA for implementing that drive, chip, and putt you know, competition. I think that's phenomenal prior to the Masters. Um, so much fun to watch. I know, you know, I live in Atlanta and I have a uh, 10-year-old nephew and he tries out for that every year. Um, so I think we need to continue to implement um, things like that and, you know, engage, you know, the kids to, to join in the fun and, and make it fun. Don't make it, you know, such a, a, a tight competition that, you know, it's not inclusive for everybody. Um, I'd love to see us go in and do some um, more things in the inner city. I think First Tee's done a great job. Again, you know, I'm hoping we can all put our heads together and come up with some something. And I don't know what that something is. You know, I think about it every day is, you know, how can I be a mentor to a child or a group of children and get them more engaged in golf? Um, you know, maybe that's through the Boys and Girls Club of America or Big Brothers and Big Sisters, but I think we need to continue to reach out to those, those organizations and get these kids involved, and we need to make it accessible. Um, right. You know, I, I just moved from Florida, and I coached a first T team down there, a um, boys and girls team. It was, you know, a combination, and it was really difficult to find a golf course that would allow these kids to play nine holes after school. So, you know, we need to, to continue to push these golf professionals and these um, private golf clubs to allow these kids to have the opportunity to, you know, learn the game. You know, you, you raise a, that's a fantastic point, by the way, you raise a very interesting point, Kathy, because I, I actually had heard uh, a similar story uh, in Florida, and I won't name the area, but um, that they were having that same difficulty. They had something around 1,300, um, you know, kids involved in the, in the first T program, but were having difficulty getting, uh, you know, courses to sort of open their door. And I wonder if the, the, the clubs, you know, I, I realize I understand how the private clubs work, but I'm wondering if they're doing themselves a disservice by not opening those doors, because as you, I'm sure, are aware uh, and it's not in every case, but many of the private clubs across the nation, um, their memberships are dwindling as, as people age and, of course, pass on. And, and uh, you know, the next generation isn't falling in line as it did at one time. And there's going to come a point in time where some of these private clubs, are, and already some have, are going to end up closing the doors because they're not going to have anybody playing there. So I think it would almost be to their benefit, would it not, to open their door and get other programs coming in there uh, and, and piquing that interest in some of these youngsters that maybe at some point down the road may choose to become a member at that particular facility. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, we see it happening already. I mean, you just mentioned it. There are many golf clubs that have closed their doors already. Sure. So, you know, uh, one club, one person I really want to mention who I admire, I don't know him well, um, but I was in Arizona for a while, is Brian Whitcomb. And Brian had a golf course in Arizona that was just for kids. And my son Holy would have God. to call. Oh, he'd have to call and make a tea time. He'd have to make the tea time. The parents were not allowed to call and make a tea time. 
And then the parents could play for $5. And it was a little executive golf course, but the kids loved it. The pro shop was all kids apparel. And it was a phenomenal idea. And I would love to see that um, catch on in other communities around the country. You know, that, that's a, that's another great point. And, and actually, I just had this conversation last week, um, um, very similar conversation. And, you know, when I was growing up, before I got an opportunity to play out in what I would call a regular uh, golf course, uh, I was introduced through some of these executive courses that were in my area. Um, they were very inexpensive compared to, to uh, some of the, the regular courses. And it was a great learning. And I think I would like to see, I know there's still many around, but I think I would like to see more, especially in maybe areas, like you said, in the inner cities, if they've got the uh, ability to do so. And, and a very low, inexpensive way of introducing somebody into the game. And the other thing, too, is there's a lot of great ladies. We've had some on the show here that are, are doing initiatives within the school programs uh, of introducing it into the schools. And I think there, Kathy, and maybe you would agree with this, I think there's a perception with a lot of uh, youngsters out there that their perception is um, golf is, you know, where, where all the professionals play and, and, you know, I'm never going to play professional golf, so this isn't for me. It's not like, you know, shooting hoops out, out in, the, you know, in the park somewhere or, or playing, you know, tennis on a, a, a public course. Their, their, their exposure to golf is what they see on TV, um, and I think we have to change that perception. It, that's one part of it, but that's not the only part of it. And I, and I agree with what you said. I think we have to find a way of getting golf uh, on, on a broader scale. And, and these are some of the women that are doing it, getting it into the education system, making it after-school programs. Um, do you see maybe Callaway uh, and maybe even some of the other manufacturers out there getting in, more involved in something like that? You know, I would love to um, hear more about that. That's the first that I've heard about that. Um, yeah, I would definitely, you know, push Callaway to, to get involved in something like that. You know, from from my perspective, you know, I grew up, I was an athlete, I played basketball and softball, and you're right about the perception of golf. You know, I always thought, well, I'm never going to, you know, I don't want to be a golf professional, and, you know, golf right. is too expensive. It wasn't something that, you know, my family could afford. So right. every once in a while we'd go, and, you know, I would caddy for my dad on the weekend, and I thought it was so boring, but... As I sit, you know, 40 years later in the position that I'm in, I'm so grateful to the mentors that I had who introduced me to the game and made me realize that, you know, it's a fun sport and it's also an opportunity to engage in corporate activity. You know, there's a lot of business dealings that are done on the golf course. Um, There's also, you know, friendships to be made. Um, You know, I have friends all across the country just because of golf. And when I was younger, I would have never in a million years thought that. And, you know, the other thing is golf is something you can play your entire life. You know, my basketball career ended when, you know, I I blew out my knee and, you know, that was the end of it was I was done. So I'm so grateful to, you know, my mentors who introduced me to the game and have really pushed me to, um, you know, continue in, in the sport, in the industry. So I'm very thankful. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right, um, Kathy. I mean, you know, a lot of other sports, especially high-impact sports, there comes a point in time that reality checks in and we realize we, we can't, uh, you know, do them to the same level and and uh, whether it be for injury or, or other reasons. But golf is something that people can play well into their 90s, uh, you know, if they so choose. So it, it's really a game for all ages. But as I said earlier, and, and, and you uh, support, I think there is that perception out there that that golf is number one, it's, it's too expensive, obviously, but um, it's, it's for sort of an elite category of players. And it goes back to what Cindy always talks about, you know, why am I here? Why do I want to play? Well, not everybody wants to be a tour player. Some people want to just go out and have fun. And there's so many opportunities and business opportunities, as you just eloquently pointed out. Um, But I think really in order to really help grow golf, there's going to be two areas. I think family golf, number one, is going to be another area, getting families uh, reconnected in, in something that they can do together, but also getting it in from a grassroots standpoint into the school systems and getting it as part of um, that after school, you know, initially and maybe into to more, um, you know, in-depth as time goes on. But uh, there's a lot of kids that go to school. As I said, the only, uh, you know, avenue or, or exposure to golf is what they see on TV. They don't, they never see it in their own school system. So 
you know, why are they going to want to go out and play a game that they're not exposed to? But, you know, they are other sports. Um, well, and, you, you know, know, and you I know would... one other go, – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm done. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you know, one other point I wanted to make about the school system is, you know, what a great sport to incorporate into a non-bullying um, campaign. You know, golf's about etiquette. It's about politeness. It's about – you know, congratulating each other. It's about accepting, you know, each other for our abilities and our non-abilities. And I think it's a great, um, it's a great sport to marry with a non-bullying campaign. You know, basketball right. and contact sports are, are, I don't want to say they're the opposite and they promote bullying, but they're, you know, they're aggressive. They're an aggressive sport. sport. And, yes. Right, right. And I think you learn that aggression. And I mean, I know, I know I did, you know, I was very competitive and, you know, a very aggressive player and golf is, is the complete opposite. And, you know, it's fun to go out and play with people of all abilities. You know, I'll play with LPGA tour players and I can go play with, you know, somebody who's just learning and, you know, it's just an enjoyable day either way because of the handicap system and because of the, you know, interaction with each other, um, it's just, I think it's a great sport to start at that school age level that teaches them that, you know, you can be involved in a sport. You don't have to be, you know, an LPGA tour player and, you know, you can, you can compete at your own pace, be accepted and, you know, learn that bullying is just not acceptable at any level in sports or in school. Exactly. You know, just- well, and you know, what's funny is typically the <laughs> it's the quiet little person that can be, you know, the tortoise and the hare, and the tortoise can end up winning. And so exactly I right. agree with you. Yeah, I, I'm married to that person who played on tour for 15 years. <laughs> Can't catch a ball, but played in the Masters five times, you know. And everybody laughs, and it's like, yeah, don't be laughing at Alan <laughs> because it's he's deadly. So how can we do this? Let's do something. I want to change the world. Uh, you know what, Cindy? You know, you and I talk about this all the time. How can we be, how can we change the world? And, you know, I would love to see um, uh, a roundtable or a summit of some of the top leaders in the industry, especially women um, like Donna Orinder and Susie Whaley and Sandy Cross and yourself. And, um, you know, I would love oh, for us to all get we together. Need to do that. That would be phenomenal. Kate Cunningham, I mean, the list goes on and on. Gail Graham's a, a you know, former LPGA tour player, a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, she loves working with the kids. She's phenomenal. You know, if we could all sit down and put our heads together, I think we could really come up with something phenomenal. I well, think we let really me just could. And I agree. Let me just throw two additional names in there because they're currently running some great uh, uh, junior programs that are not geared for – you know, funneling into tours. I mean, obviously, maybe at some point, maybe some of the people that are involved, some of the kids involved may aspire to be that one day. But um, two great ladies up in New York. Uh, first one, Kate Tempesta, who's been a, ge- a guest on. She actually takes uh, kids out to Central Park and uh, has some different games and things that they, you know, golf-related uh, out there. Uh, so obviously, even in a big city, there's way, and she's been doing it very successfully. And the other one is out in uh, South Carolina, Nicole Weller, who, Cindy, I know you're familiar with, uh, does some great junior uh, programming out there as well. Very passionate about it. So they would be two uh, great ladies to to maybe include in your panel. I th- I think one I'd like to make a suggestion this to, for for you guys to consider because I've thought about this uh, at length as well. Um, obviously you can't just sort of bust through the doors and and just you know offer all of these different programs. But maybe there's a way that uh, initially that maybe you know Callaway as an example and maybe the LPGA could create a program where and I'm not talking you know, necessarily the golf professionals out on tour. I'm talking about professionals like Cindy, where they could, you know, work out some sort of a, um, you know, a schedule that they could go into the school systems in their area and actually do everything from um, talking about golf, the importance of golf, how it benefits the communities, some of the charities that benefit from golf, and, and educate them that it's not just about, you know, hitting great golf shots, how much the tours and how much the, the players and all of the people involved in golf give back to their local communities. And I think people, especially in the school system, would be very surprised. And then educate them about golf, that it's not just some stodgy old sport that, uh, you know, for 
for aging old, you know, retired men down in Florida, that it's so much more and how much it's grown. And I think an education program that way to start um, in conjunction with a, a great manufacturer like uh, Callaway might be a way to, to get your foot in the door and, and see what happens from there. Just a thought. I like it. I like it. I think it's a phenomenal so, idea. Kathy, and, let me I mean, ask you, with all the other programs, because there's programs everywhere, okay? There's PGA Junior League, LPGA Girls Golf, the first tee. Um, where, what are we missing? What, what needs to be different and what's missing? Well, I think I think Ted hit it on you know he hit it on the head. I think we need to start with the school systems, because you know the the first tee and you know the um, some of the other programs you just men- mentioned are outside of the scope of the school system. So right. you know you have to have parents that are willing or able to take their kids to these you know to these programs. Um, when you start with the school systems, you know, the kids are there already. They have to go to school. So I think mm-hmm. it's a great starting point. Um, and, you know, whether the kids, you know, filter into the First Tee program or the PG of America's program, um, I just think it's a great starting point uh, for, you know, launching something like this and getting them yeah. interested in the game. Now, would Callaway be willing to, you know, help would they create new clubs? Would they use the, the junior sets you already have? Because I know what, the sets are like from 5 to 9 and 10 to 14, right? Is that how the sets come? Yeah, you know, and I think that's running before we walk. <laughs> I think we have to walk first and you right. know, come okay. up with the program before we, before we move into, you know, what equipment does every child need? And, you know, because I, I think that goes back to some economic factors, you know, within, yep. you know, their family life. So, you know, there's ways to get to get clubs in, in kids' hands. And I think if it was a viable program and, um, you know, something that was, you know, that helped grow the game, Callaway would certainly look at it, you know, because they, they want to be involved in, you know, starting, you know, with these kids and getting them interested in the game. Um, so I think we need to put the program together first and, you know, I think that there are, there are ways to get some clubs in in kids' hands for sure. I guess what I'm asking is, would you teach the phys ed teacher that's currently there, would you have to teach them how to teach or would you bring in professionals to run an after-school program? What do you think's best? I think you, I think it would be best to bring in a professional. I really do. Unless you have a phys ed teacher that is an avid golfer and, and wants to learn and be involved in that, I think it's a I think it's a program that's kind of outside of the you know it's outside of the education curriculum, mm-hmm. but that is introduced at the school you know level at the schools. And right. how would we fund that? Because the school is probably not going to pay for the program. No, again, I think, you know, we need to rely on the local golf corporate. professionals. Yeah, and corporate donations, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah let, me just in, yeah, let me just interject one thought and in, in just kind of what you said a few moments ago, Kathy and, and, and Cindy as well. Um, I, I think we've we got to be careful, and I think one of the, the problems has sort of been putting that cart before the horse. You know, it's great to get the clubs in the hand, but I think first and foremost we need to, um, you know, put a bug in their ear. We need to get them interested in golf first. Um, and those will, will flock. They'll find a way, you know, if there's a will, there's a way people will gravitate, you know, the first tee and all these other great programs are great, but those are people that are already exposed to golf that have an interest in golf and they're coming out to these different programs to partake. But there's many, many kids that have never had any exposure. And I think the first step in my opinion would be, let's educate them about golf. What golf is about. It's not just, as I said earlier, and, and educate them first before we jump in with all these great programs, because schools, if, if they feel the program is viable, they will somehow work it into a budget. They will find ways of budgeting. And even if it takes outside corporate help, uh, and that's a great selling point to the corporate, is if they want to grow their businesses, as you said earlier, Kathy, um, you know, with corporate golf and things like that, 
what a great way for them to get involved in the school system to give back. So there's ways that Callaway and the golf professionals can partner with other corporations in helping fund some of these programs. But I think first and foremost, I think we need to get into these systems and show them some models outside, not necessarily first tee, but some of these other where they're, where they're just exposing kids to golf, um, not necessarily putting equipment in their hand, but exposing them to the game and educating some of the benefits that they can get from golf, both in the industry and outside the industry in a personal situation, and then let the, the sort of you know, nature take its course from there. I think that would be maybe a better way to approach it rather than just you know, uh, running a bunch of after-school programs because, again, not every kid's going to qualify for that and not every kid is maybe going to have the resources or the parents. And uh, the schools aren't just going to put it in their budget if they don't feel there's something in it for them. So uh, I think we need to educate them. And I think a way to do that is to have somebody like Cindy and and many others in her field go into the schools and have these discussions, um, you know, in a presentation format and and then let it go from there and let the school uh, boards and systems decide, hey, you know, this is something we would like to have in our school system. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And and I completely agree with you. I, I think there needs to be an introduction to the game. And, you know, that it's kind of why I brought up the bullying um, uh, right. campaign that's going on right now. I think it fits, ties in nicely with that campaign, and I think that is such a priority for the school systems right now um, that, you know, to have somebody come in and um, be part of that and introduce golf and talk more about life skills and, and what golf, you know, can do for them – not only as a sport, but as a stress reliever, as a way to yep. make new friends, to be involved in a sport that's not, you know, you don't have to have a ton of coordination. Um, it's just, it's a different avenue um, to to move forward in life. And, you know, yep. to be involved in, in something that you do see on TV that could be, you know, possibly in your business life, could be in your college life. You know, it's 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 a life skill. It really is. Right. You know, the other thing, and just lastly, because we, we've got to wrap up, but one of the, the other things, too, that might be an option as well is is having, um, you know, sort of a school outing, uh, you know, at certain levels of, you know, take the kids on, a, on a, a date, not a day trip, but, you know, like a class trip to a golf facility, to a golf course and expose them to uh, the course and what's involved. And, and, you know, I mean, they do all kinds of trips. They go to the zoos and they go to all different things. Why not introduce them to uh, the golf industry? You know, in that, that might be another way to do it because um, that's very inexpensive. I mean, it doesn't cost that much to organize the, the school buses, and you know, uh, you know, have them go out within the out to the golfing community and and outreach that way, and then have something you know ahead planned at the um, whether it be a, a clinic again or or some other function going on at the golf course, uh, so they're not just you know looking at the greens and the grass grow, but they've got something there to keep their you know interest and pique their interest. So just some things to think about, and I think that would be a great way to, to initiate golf into the school system. Just some of the things, and, and I'm sure you guys, uh, if you get your your panels together and, and have some discussion, you come up with some other great ideas as well. Um, but on that note, uh, we've got to wrap up our discussion. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. But, Kathy, we want to thank you very much for coming on and joining Cindy and I this morning on the Women of Golf Show. We really appreciate your input and all the hard work that you do, and, and we would love to have you come back again maybe sometime in the new year uh, where we can have some other further discussion. Thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, really appreciate it, and I would love to come back. We Fantastic. would love to have you. Thank you, Cindy. And we're excited to see about the new driver uh, when we go down to the PGA show. So keep uh, an eye out for that, for those of you that are going to be heading down uh, later in January. But, uh, Kathy, again, thank you very much for joining Cindy and I this morning. And have uh, a great holiday season. And uh, we'll be in touch. And we look forward to having you come back and join us again on the Women of Golf. Thank you both. And happy holidays to you both as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was our very special guest, Kathy Grayson, and I know we ran a few minutes over, uh, and I apologize for that. And, Cindy, I know you've got to go as well as I, but, uh, again, we want to thank our very special guest uh, from the Callaway uh, Golf uh, brand, uh, Kathy Grayson. She's a sales manager of the t- tournament division uh, for Callaway and uh, has lots of great ideas and lots of uh, uh, fun things going on at Callaway and exciting things happening. And uh, on behalf of Cindy and I, we want to thank her again, Uh, But we also want to thank you as we wind down the 2016 season, get prepared for for next year. We'll be coming back, uh, I believe, the second week of January, uh, the second Tuesday in January after a a long uh, break through the holidays. 
and we'll have some great guests and some other great interesting topics and we hope that you enjoyed the 2016 season and in the meantime during the holidays if you have a chance we would love to hear from you we would love for you to reach out uh, to both Cindy and I uh, Cindy is Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com and uh, I of course is um, Ted at uh, Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com is my email uh, reach out to us with your thoughts uh, maybe you have some individuals that you'd like to have uh, as guests on the show or maybe there's specific topics that we haven't covered yet uh, or we have covered maybe didn't get as in depth as you would like, uh, please let us know what you'd like uh, like to hear from us on the show, and and uh, we'll do our best to put those together. But uh, uh, again, on behalf of Cindy Miller and I, thank you very much to all the listeners from around the world for tuning in faithfully each week uh, to the Women of Golf. Uh, happy holidays, everybody, and uh, God bless. And, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you next year. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, Ted. Have a great one. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye.